0: Saga. You know we keep it groovy We talking cartoons, books, TVs, and movies A couple of nerds but got style We so cool, pop culture Talking new and old school, yeah You should know we love hip-hop From the roots, Ty lib Shout out to Feral Munch We giving you what you want It don't get no live ain't no doubt we got you. This is Pop Saga, let's go Oh yeah, you heard right heard This right. is a lifestyle Welcome to the nerd life Pop Saga
1: All right, and we're recording. Let's see how this shitty program actually does.
2: Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it'll sound fine.
1: <laughs> I mean, whatever. It's the it's the pilot.
2: We don't yeah, need to be a precise. We don't, need, we don't need to be polished. Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. Here we go. Right. Hello and welcome to episode one of Pop Saga, the podcast that chronicles the journey of two friends as they plumb the depths of their pop culture obsession. My name's Forrest. And I'm joined by my ho- co-host John. I only said, I almost said a uh, ho coast. Ho coast.
2: I like it. The <laughs> ho coast. Okay.
1: All right, by ho coast, John.
2: Yes. That sounds. Thank you. Sounds I'm John Ho Coast.
1: That's actually a, a cool fake name. Let's let's uh, file that away. All right, filed. So uh, yeah, today. We're gonna kick off, kick, off, kick off our saga, our very first uh, step in our quest to plumb this obsession. Is that a? <laughs> it's plumb the depths. Does that sound gross to you? It's. It kind of. The more I say it, the more it sounds kind of
2: gross. Yeah, I mean, if you're into fruit like that, then it's <laughs> then it's all right. But if you're, you're not I into fruit think, like I am, then I
1: don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think they, they're talking about the fruit. Yeah, I don't um, think so
2: either, but this is a body by not fruit, so I definitely won't <laughs> plumb the depths, but I'm willing to dig a trench or uh, fill a hole or... Well, now that sounds bad, too. <laughs> okay.
1: I guess we'll just stick with uh, plumbing for right now. Yes, we will um, plumb the depths. So our step number one, the the first step on our journey, is Masters of the Universe, out in 1987, directed by Gary... Goddard. goddard
2: yeah music by bill conti <laughs> famous for rocky like all the rockies really yeah oh he did done not l- do my research <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he's done <laughs> a lot of stuff a lot of music a lot of um i mean i don't know i call him the faux. um oh my god why am i blanking on his name Faux john williams Dumb call boots. him the okay. faux John Williams, because this has a very, like, um, I don't know. Should we just get right into it, or?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, actually, let's let's actually pause on that a little bit. Okay. Let's take a couple steps back.
2: Well, you know, I'm just really excited.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Let's talk a little bit about um, what brought you to this movie. Um, one of the reasons I suggested this film as our first, uh, as our our first foray, our first step is because I believe that you and I have come to this film from vastly different perspectives. I'll tell you, my story is not very interesting, so I'll tell you just really quickly. When I was a kid, I was not allowed to see this film. Hmm. Because my mom uh, basically said anything with violence, anything with, uh, you know, really just anything with violence, that was a no-go. And so she saw The Swords... She saw Dolph Lundgren's, like, gleaming um, hot dog skin-colored <laughs> tan, <laughs> and um, and she was like, no dice. So when I was a, a child, even though I was obsessed with um, He-Man, I never got to see this film. And to, so to me, it always had this air of mystery. It could have been, like, in my head, this movie was so... Uh, wonderful and dark and mysterious because I wasn't allowed to see it. I saw it many years later of course when I was more of an adult and so those are kind of like what my opinion is formed around but I'd love to hear about because I bet you saw it when you were a kid. Yes I did. Yeah so let's hear
2: yeah, what that so, was like. Yeah so I'm a lifelong He-Man and Master of the Universe fan so when the movie came out of course I had to go see it um, so I was actually, uh, my mom and my brother took me and we went to the, uh, I don't even remember which theater it was. It was the Mission Theater in uh, San Francisco, which is now the Alamo Draft House, And it was kind of like a discount theater at the time. You know, pretty much you'd go there and be paying half price or whatever. So I'm not sure if we saw it exactly when the movie came out, and I'll tell you why I think that's. Not like we saw it, Like I think it came out in August of uh, 1987, but um, I'm not sure we saw it exactly then. Um, But yeah, no, we went, and I just remember eating a little bit of popcorn and just being blown away by watching this uh, movie that really wasn't like the cartoon at all, but really super enjoyable. Um, I loved it so much that I remember that during the movie, I, I, I left to go to the bathroom And I walked over to one of the ushers there and I said, you know, I I asked them if they had a movie poster for it because I saw it in the container to see if they just had one. And they were like, no, we don't. But you can have this one. Um, So they literally opened up the little movie poster holder, pulled down the poster for me and handed it to me and like that blew my mind i I ran back to my you know seat and we finished watching the movie my mom saw it and she was like oh that's great you know tiger she never called me tiger but Mm -hmm. i figured that'd be cool nicknames anyway (laughs) um i've had like that poster i still own that poster in fact it's up in my office now but wow. the reason why I say I don't think I saw it when it came out was because I swore it was like, it is a movie poster size because it is irregular. It, it, like, the frame it sits in now, unfortunately, it's folded on the bottom a little bit for it to stay in there. But uh, on the top, it says, A battle fought in the stars, right, dot, 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 masters the universe. I think that's the original poster. But mine says, A battle fought in the stars now comes to home video. yeah it's been in the theater for a little bit a little bit so much so that was on home video but that's how i got that poster um like i said i've carried it everywhere i've gone i moved with it it was totally like um arguably probably one of my favorite movies um definitely a guilty pleasure
1: that's fantastic yeah so i came in a little bit different of an angle um, I saw it as uh, a, at a much more cynical age. And so uh, it's a, a movie that I've grown to appreciate more. Uh, the more I learn about it, the more I learn about the production, and some of the background around the, um, the studio that made it. And just as a heads up, unless you have a lot of things you want to talk about about canon, I didn't do a lot of canon research even though i've seen the documentary that was very good on um netflix or whatever but yeah no, it's uh, a premiered documentary. On. um but i figure well we can probably talk about them at a different they deserve their own episode i think so yeah so we'll just focus on he-man and um yeah it came out in 1987 it debuted i believe third on the weekend it opened Mm-hmm. So that's probably why you saw it at a second run movie theater because uh yeah, they made um I think they ended up making 17 million uh, with a budget of 20, which at the time was very high. It was
2: 22. 22. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Good yeah. gravy. Well, I think originally it was 15. But then they needed to go over, like, uh, Gary Goddard or whatever. like, we need, we need more money. We need more money. If you want uh, your version of Star Wars here, we need more money. So then they extended it to, like, another seven mil. Wow. <laughs> it's just,
1: yes, it's yeah. just a, a classic. A classic uh, train wreck of a film.
2: Oh, yeah, like, it, like, I mean, we'll go through it and just kind of talk uh, talk through pieces and whatever stuff I remember anecdotally I'll make sure to bring up. But, um, yeah, it's crazy to think of a film back then for, like, uh, $22 million And, you know, like, they all banked it on Masters of the Universe. And by this point, He-Man was not necessarily out of the cultural zeitgeist, but the cartoon was done. They weren't making any more for a few years. The toy line itself was done as well. So it's like a movie that kind of came a year too late. I think it would have happened in 86, you know, along with like Transformers, the movie. And then um, I think G.I. Joe, the movie came out Same year, but they released it as uh, episodes versus um, releasing it in theaters. Um, I think if it would have came out even a year earlier, it might have actually had a better chance at least make its money back.
1: Sure, yeah. That makes sense. What I thought was uh, very interesting is they they touted the movie as the Star Wars of the 1980s, even though... the majority of star wars came out in the 1980s so uh (laughs) star wars was the star wars of the 1980s this was a movie that was truly um or clearly i should say trying to be like star wars (laughs) very much so in a lot of ways um so yeah the movie is starring dolph lundgren frank Langella, meg foster billy Uh, barty Courtney Cox, Robert Kurt. Duncan McNeil, yes. John Cypher, <laughs> Chelsea Field, James Tolcan, and uh, Christina Pickles as the Sorceress.
2: Yeah, and it's funny, this was uh, Courtney Cox's first major film role.
1: And you can tell, man, she looks like a baby. But anyway, let's not uh, let's not get too far ahead. Yep. Well, um, spoiler alert.
2: Spoiler Queen alert. Goss she looks like a movie. child. Yeah, she looks like <laughs> a person adequately aged for the movie at the time she recorded it.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, strangely, right? Uh, maybe the maybe that's progressive in that way. Uh, there's also, you know, um, just as a little tease, there is a very good. Did I say good with a, a laugh in my voice? As you can probably hear, a very good um sort of forward thinking feminist line in this movie that uh when i saw today i did not remember and it was the one of the most delightful things i've seen in a long time so i can't wait to talk about that but before we get into that um let's
2: just kick it off at the start all right
1: so first things first that canon logo
2: oh yeah you knew you were in
1: for some shit right there exactly you saw that as a kid and you said this is gonna be something
2: <laughs> yeah either i'm getting american ninjas delta force charles bronson pacifying a neighborhood but i'm gonna get something with violence in it yeah it's gonna
1: it. be nuts yep and we get the two big stars right at this top right at the top dolph lundgren in his first english-speaking role i think that's just uh, off the old noodle, but I don't know if that's true, but certainly it seemed that way. And Frank Lagella, who must have been like, <laughs> I have to share the marquee with this dude. <laughs> um, hey, and, by
2: all accounts, he was super excited to do this role.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you if you read up on it even a little bit, he uh, says that's one of his most favorite roles, and I think you can definitely see that in the performance. Um. But So it goes, just those two guys, and then, bam, we get map painting, like you said, and um, voiceover.
2: Yeah, yeah, voiceover, talking about, um, oh my god, I should have copied this down.
1: Yeah, that was something I thought about too, but I didn't, so we don't have it, so
2: that's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Just know, Um, it sounds kind of like this. What I love about it,
1: what I love about it is that it's so uh, general,
2: Well, yeah, because that's like, it, it. I mean, like, what are you gonna do? You you you've taken like, so like the genesis of this film's not so much the cartoon because remember before the cartoon it was a toy line, right? And that was toy, it. And the toy line had its own, you know, the mini comics where there was no Prince Adam. It was just He Man, and you know he's kind of like you know like. Conan the Barbarian a little bit and you know like the sword and sorcery and some science fiction thrown in there too so that's really what you know like Gary Goddard took to make Masters of the Universe so like I don't think you could have done anything like very specific where you you could literally take this crawl and then just the, the last line because I know you know they say Masters of the Universe that I remember but you could totally take that and just change it with anything like you know is whatever. To Kill a Mockingbird, you know. <laughs> yeah, you Fred. could throw any movie lyrics in you know, a song of fire and ice, and it would work okay because it's pretty generic.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was just very funny um, because they're just like, okay, so there's this power, and there's a sorceress, and she's like uh, keeping the balance of good and evil within this castle, and whoever it's uh is in the castle i guess it's this power and it's just like very vague you know there's a power there's a castle there's a sorceress i mean what they're kind of telling you is look don't worry about it this is going to be on the film for the ne- or this is going to be on the screen for the next 15 minutes and then we're just going to fuck off to wherever <laughs>
2: yeah you're you're not look i'm not looking for them the wax poetic here i'm very happy with just like this standard crawl into superman like three intro credits right with the fucking laser lights and the stars and then all of a sudden it's just all like you know masters you know like well first you get the lights and i think you get the other actors names um before it gives you that
1: yeah yeah (laughs) yeah no it goes like yeah it it, he does that little like there's a slow pan across a very poor matte painting of Castle Grayskull that looks like a sort of like a mix between the Castle Grayskull that we're familiar with from the back of the toys and the cartoon um, mixed with uh, just like a radio antenna there's (laughs) like It's like a bunch of uh, spires and just really weird stuff. It was a bizarre choice. Um, I can kind of see what they were going for. There is a sci-fi quality to the different, like, you know, the ramparts and the weird, like, um, spindly things that are coming off of the top of Castle Grayskull, but at the same time it doesn't work at all it's like we don't know we can't tell what
2: (laughs) what is going on here well my my like understanding behind that was very much um i mean i guess we'll kind of go through it as we uh, talk the movie out but um gary goddard was really inspired by jack kirby Mm. um and tried to get him to be the uh, production designer um as far as like get him to do the art and things like that and uh studio shot that down both times um so they went and got william stout instead um who's done some crazy shit. um i know he did a like production designer on godzilla king of the monsters like the 82 one
1: mm-hmm. and
2: return of the living dead um and then he also designed Edgar for Men in Black. That was something interesting to do. But they got him and he has a very kind of paleontology-esque like style where like th- things are really far out and um super crazy. So I think between getting William Stout and trying to make almost like a new god's ish Type of world where you know everyone's kind of fantastical and they have like these really octagonal shapes and things like that in it i think that's what you kind of get this castle grayskull that's um definitely not like the cartoon but really trippy i actually really dig how castle grayskull looks in this and it, it it looks it looks decadently good and evil yeah yeah that's a good way of
1: putting it um So we go, uh, let's see, right from there to, like you said, there goes the uh, credit sequence with everybody. And we're going to see everybody in this credit sequence.
2: Yeah, they don't leave anyone out.
1: It's great. I kind of like this old style of credits where you're kind of forced to acknowledge the people who worked on it first. And then you get to enjoy the movie instead of, like, you're not sticking around for that shit at the end. But, uh, you know, some people can get their credit right up front. Good. So that was good. I like that.
2: And then after the credit rolls, if I remember correctly, it's an explosion. Yes.
1: Okay, I wrote this down. This is in my notes. It is explode to intro. It's an explosion uh, transition, which I just
2: loved. I I mean, they had to figure out how to get you there, and they did.
1: They they go from like this really overwrought intro, right into the credits, and then bam, <laughs> explosion <laughs> to intro, <laughs> which really sets the 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 mood I think uh, for the rest of the movie.
2: Well, I think it does. Like you get the explosion, then it shows uh, you know the castle skull in the background, uh, these like stormtrooper-esque soldiers uh
1: that's being um, kind
2: saying "esque."
1: they're just stormtrooper ripoffs. offs
2: <laughs> yeah, well i think they i mean yeah no like i mean the one thing i'm gonna give this uh, look folks you'll understand i love this movie i absolutely love it and i think one of the things that doesn't get a lot of credit actually is a lot of the costuming for this movie um and yeah like the 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 skeletor troops are yeah stormtrooper-esque little like you know have a little samurai look to the helmets um even warhammer 40k style pauldrons on some of them there's some far out shit in this movie um and you see them like in this like the interney is all on fire and stuff and they're marching looks like troops uh good guy troops uh because it looks like they're fucking winning
1: yeah there's uh that first scene is great when they show the exterior of castle grace call they're showing the sort of like uh wherever r- riverbed like dried out riverbed they filmed that uh, first part in somewhere in california or uh, more than likely uh where canon was based um which i don't have in front of me so <laughs> probably shouldn't have brought it up but there we are well, um we know they were based somewhere yeah it was somewhere it was not la which is odd but anyway so they had they're walking through that dry riverbed and they do a pretty good job of blending it with the matte painting on the top mm-hmm. and we see some fire and yeah we see some guys just kind of like randomly pushing soldiers uh you know uh, prisoners uh prisoners of war through this uh dry riverbed and it sets a Pretty good. Um, it sets the stage pretty well, because um, then we transition, we cut to the inside of Castle of Grayskull, yes. and um, you know Skeletor just being
2: a, uh, obnoxious with a staff. That's right, because <laughs> he he wants you to know when he enters a room.
1: Oh yeah, he's well, not using it for walking. You can tell by the way he kind of like throws it out in front of him and, and, you know, slams it on the ground But this is not, um, this is not a, this is not, this is not for to, to help him. No, no, this is for, this is an accent piece.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I love it because it just, like, I mean, it's Skeletor. I probably, I think I like Skeletor more than I like He-Man, um, in most cases. Um, sure. And yeah, this was just like, that attitude that like every time it hitting the like the marbled floor of castle grayskull all his troops all lined up in like this uh you know the i guess uh, main chamber to castle grayskull that has like a a deep dark pit in it and these statues up top <laughs> a it's, red pit it's insane and it's just like you know it's like part of its um like like I said it's like part good, part evil and like if you look at the bottom it's all evil with the skulls and stuff and then like the statues look all pious. Oh, I love it. And it just sets it up.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's really interesting. The I thought the a lot of the statues are really cool. Some of them look like BMX bikers, which is I think kind of just indicative of the style of the time. But um, I actually like the the production design of this entire set it was really cool um i really enjoy the the sort of uh, italian influences it seemed to have with the with the sort of um reddish brown marble mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um yeah I, I i thought that the designs of the statues ended up being pretty cool it's like it's corny but it's uh it's cool um
2: yeah, and it's got a stargate and like right behind a throne <laughs> right and <laughs> this yeah. giant iris thing and like these runes on uh, the, the the throne itself
1: yeah there's a lot of um there's a lot of world building that's done in this first scene that, that they don't really go back to address but is interesting nonetheless um i think so i love like right off the bat frank langella is giving us like he's hitting us with a hundred percent gale force winds acting mm-hmm. he is uh as skeletor he forgets the like we as the audience forget that there is a woman standing in like a, a pillar of light off to the side and uh, he kind of forgets too it's <laughs> sort of a joking way he he feigns that he uh he doesn't hear the her cries or whatever and and then we are introduced to the sorceress who we heard about in the narration but have uh no time to spend with because she's already been captured
2: yeah this is this is it this is dire this is like a skeletor who finally figured out his plan right like all the years of bungling and fool you know like tomfoolery and he's like no this is my end game i've i've got castle Grayskull. i've got he-man and them on the run i've got the sorceress this this beacon of good with her like fabulous headgear with like the crystal diamonds in it like these like you know like diamond formations all through it there yeah she's in this beam of light yeah um i do like the fact you bring up frank langella a skeletor like just going for 100 percent, like that's what he does for each one of the scenes he's in he's like if i'm gonna wear this shit everyone's gonna know i'm in this scene and i'm i'm really surprised that like you don't see teeth marks in the scenery because that's how much he's <laughs> chewing like <Yeah. laughs> chewing up the scene that's oh,
1: i love it it's a good thing that uh set wasn't made out of uh um graham crackers because man he would have eaten the whole thing
2: yeah that uh silver spandex suit he was wearing would not have looked so good <laughs> yeah they definitely um kind of hilariously i think probably to get the
1: pg rating um like he-man is is just as naked as almost as naked as the day he was born uh but everyone else like uh evil lynn um who we do we you yeah, know we meet during this scene
2: yeah, she's the one who told her, like everyone's captured and all this shit. Yeah, and then she's like, you know, Castle Grayskull, you know, will be ours. And that's Skeletor. goes like, No, mine.
1: Yes, that's a great. Uh, that's a just putting her in a place, reminding her who's in charge. Because mm-hmm. you gotta uh, when we were talking about evil people. Um, and then uh, Skeletor, I wrote down that Skeletor uh, invents talk to the hand. Yeah, yeah, based on when this was released.
2: (laughs) Are you talking like when he's trying to sap the energy from the sorceress? Or when he does this fucking uh, telecommunication broadcast across all of Eternia? Oh,
1: no. I'm talking about when he goes up to the sorceress and he goes, uh,
2: but can you feel
1: this? And he just puts his hand... (laughs) It's like, oh man, he iced her so bad. Yeah, she's like,
2: oh, stealing her fucking powers. Yeah, and then he does, yeah, this like state-sponsored broadcast where. Oh my god,
1: I have so many questions about this part. So, <laughs> so there's a scene. So that he's he um he just tells her to like you know whatever set up the thing, and and he and then he's just hit with a blue spotlight, and yep. he starts talking. And it cuts to an exterior shot and they show this this kind of sloppy map painting of this giant like cylindrical pad that has cords running away from it. And it's clearly Skeletor's... Like, it's his hologram projector. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I'm just like, didn't they just win this war? Like, who is in charge of setting up this fucking uh, hologram projector? And it's like... (laughs) Well, what is I mean, he doing over there? Oh, I think he's going to... He thinks he's going to win. He's going to need somewhere to, to tell all the people of Eternia his plans.
2: Well, I love how it's like a life-touch photo like from back in the day where it shows your forward-facing picture and then like yes. a side profile because there's like three of them in I this.
1: <laughs> I called it Three Skeletor Moon. Yeah. There's, he's got like the big... Uh, you know, a close up, and then he's got a profile, and then a little guy on the top, and uh, that's great. And um, I think this is where we get our first shot of He-Man. Um, he is—he's standing on a cliff, and yep. uh, he has to be subject to Skeletor's bad news.
2: Yeah, and he's holding the power sword there, and he's just watching Skeletor talk his shit
1: yeah and we see we get our first look at just ripped as hell Dolph lundgren blonde bleach blonde um a pretty authentic haircut for he-man
2: which i appreciated and a big old cape yeah which I, i i i love that edition of the cape um i know i use i love a lot but that is how i feel about this movie and um yeah, no, I love the addition of the cape, the power sword. Like it, it, it still kind of maintained, Like you could even tell from the silhouette, it has some of the notes from the cartoon, but it is decadently its own.
1: Yeah, when um when this guy popped up on screen, my wife took one look at him and said, uh, "He looks like uh <laughs> he looks like a cooked sausage with good hair." I wrote that down good hair he's got he's got
2: like he's got good hair
1: and he and he has like the skin of a a cooked bratwurst
2: I guess fitting yeah I mean
1: I think maybe it's because he's so sweaty and tanned and his skin looks like it's just hot and ready to burst
2: I mean, again, I, I've never been that fit, so I don't understand what the lack of fat is, and that shows me what a lack of fat is. Yeah, like, there's nothing there. <laughs> there's nothing. It's like, just meat and skin. Yeah. Like
1: like a leathery wallet. So um, then we get a couple shots of He-Man looking kind of confused. Yep. Like he's looking around like, what's going on? And then seemingly... Um, a bunch of bad guys just sort of walk near where he was.
2: I think. Yeah, they didn't notice him up on the hill. I think yeah. what they they show a few more things, and then like the uh, yeah, the bad guys are uh, carrying something in a sack.
1: Yep. Yeah, we see the um a crumpled form of something. We don't know what it is yet, but it looks like a humanoid. And uh, they come around the corner, and guess what? Bad news, buddy. It's flying kick from He
2: Man right yeah. to your face. <laughs> Drop kick, and then this weird kind of uh, battle initially, where it's this really close-up sword fight, where it's just kind of showing his chest and his arms, <laughs> and like it's not showing him swinging the sword all the way. It's like this really weird uh, thing, and then he throws a dagger, which I thought was cool. And yeah, you see sparks he- shoot out of him. <laughs>
1: The one and only, uh, appearance of his boot dagger. I guess he, uh, throws it in that instance and does not go and retrieve it.
2: Yeah, he never gets it back. I think that's it. And <laughs> just drills him, and then, uh, I think, what, a man-in-arms and Teela shows up? Yeah,
1: yeah, there's a very confusing scene where he's just, like, wrecking house. Um, <laughs> he brought a sword to a gunfight, which is hilarious. And then he, um, like, two different colored lasers come from off screen. And it's kind of lined up for him when he sort of deflects two shots. So it sort of looks like he deflected the lasers and they change color and kill the guys. But nope, that's wrong. We see man in arms and uh, his erstwhile daughter, Tila.
2: Pre-tequila. Pre-tequila Tila. Yep tequila pre tequila <laughs> <laughs> and then this is my favorite this is one of my favorite parts and the reason why is because this is kind of almost there's a couple of through lines that you like i've noticed because i'll just say to the folks that i watch this movie at least once a year it's like yeah, one of a those great movies, tradition yeah where i just sit down like there's a bunch of movies that i do that with that i need to rewatch this is definitely one of them um so after yet uh, man-at-arms and Tila come over the hill they all run together and hug and it's <laughs> and it's interesting because this happens a lot there's a lot of hugging and there's even hand-holding a lot of hand-holding in this movie a lot more than normal and it just kind of like almost uh, throws away uh that uh you know like i could see where some people would be like he-man's very like toxic masculinity sure to think about it is this dude who's proclaiming he's the master universe he could throw a fucking mountain if he wants to and then in this case yeah they see each other and they hug I i love it yeah it's very warm like um it's clear that uh and i
1: think i believe i read the trivia that dolph lundgren cannot speak english at this time so he's just phonetically pronouncing his lines, and it's clear that everyone's like getting along. Like everyone seems like they're having a pretty good a fu- uh, time on the um, on the shoot, except for maybe Courtney Cox. But we'll get to that in a in a little bit.
2: Oh yeah, no, like uh, I I don't know. Like I mean, you read some things where they were like, "Oh man, Dolph Lundgren hated this after the fact. He was miserable," but. At least there's a level of camaraderie that kind of comes through where you feel like these, you know, like some movies you watch, all the, you know, the group gets together or whatever, and it feels like, or they've been a group in in the past and the history's there, but it doesn't look like the history's there. This group looks like, oh man, yeah, they've been through this multiple times. Yeah. Thick and thin, and yeah, I, I really do enjoy seeing that camaraderie.
1: It's nice to see, and, um... Yeah, they. It's funny because they uh, have an exchange, or it's like, "Oh, I've been looking all over for you," <laughs> and of course, they give them the bad news. Uh, things have do not go great in the fight for eternity. Eternity. Eternididia. Eternia.
2: You got it in five.
1: Yeah, and so uh, He Man quickly recovers from the slowest fight ever. Yes, very slow. And that's when we hear um, George's dad from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. R.I. Uh, rest of Power. Um, Jerry Stiller, but um, no, not not him. No, the red hair and the the diminutive strat- stature may have fooled us, but it's not him. Who do we, who do we who is in the net?
2: It is Gwildor. Gwildor. Of, if let's see, hold on, hold on. I think I can remember. It's Gwildor of Fedor. I think you're right. I I think that's it. Um and uh yeah, he's this sh- short troll esque a character who, if you didn't know any better, was Orko's replacement because he indeed was Orko's replacement. Yep. They could figure out how to get him to float, I guess. And it's, yeah, it's this little guy holding the staff. He's got these pointy ears, these big jowls. Yeah, he is really weird looking.
1: Yeah, that my uh, wife, when she uh, saw that thing, said, Hey, that's a Yoda. That is a Yoda. <laughs> and you could see definitely that, um, it is definitely taking its uh, its inspiration from our little green friend.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, the um, hey, yeah, what can I say? The child let himself go. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> He's like forgot how to shave, and it's like the first instance again where they hold his hand, they pick him up from the ground, holding his hand, and then like. You know, they're like, uh, you know, I'll tell you what's going on. Come this way. And I think yeah. they go to his, like, uh, hovel or home. Or yeah,
1: before they cut to the, his front door, um, he, like, they, they, they like, wait way too long before they cut. And, like, he is clearly having a hard time getting up that, like, re- like it's a really steep rock. And, like, they kind of put him on his feet. And then he's trying to walk off seed, but they're like, "Oh, he's like, oh shit." Uh, um, I kind of try to uh, get my footing here, and the camera really lingers for a while, which is I thought was um funny.
2: Yeah, it's like a George Lucas uh, droids are waiting says something, and then they hang on C three PO for <laughs> yeah, like about like five beats too long. too long, and you just like. <laughs> Okay, we could speed this up. But I like the fact you get to the front door and Man-at-Arms takes his helmet off and he hooks it on the back of his thing. And again, it just... I don't know. It's like this weird... The layering in this movie is just super impressive.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of ideas here. And like I said, there's a lot of world building. We get this, like, um, planet-wide hologram network. We get... um, i think man-at-arms outfit is even cool it's cool that they have man-at-arms in the movie first off as a fan when you see it first time you're like yes okay people i know this is good so far and i thought man-at-arms costume was great uh there is some like you mentioned before some warhammer 40k imperial guard vibes to it Mm -hmm. um that is uh fun to look at um but, uh, it turns out that Gwildor is a real, uh, greatest generation shithead. Yep. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's just like, wow, well, there was a time where we didn't have to lock our doors. Yeah. Someday we'll be back there again. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's true. He's a shithead. Yeah, he's, like- so
1: he's a real, like, like, guy who's, uh, um, sort of, uh... Uh, idolizing the fifties and <laughs> wishing for a time that never actually uh, actually existed.
2: Hey, but you know he had a he had one of those like August smart locks or something because he puts this key in it lights up. Yeah. And then they go into his home, yeah. which is again kind of Yoda esque, right? It's got like uh like tree roots kind of sticking through it. It's round, it's small, and it's just surrounded with a bunch of like of his inventions and shit like that yeah
1: they have a great scene where tila and and uh man-at-arms are both um like just fascinated by spinning things like they have li- laser pistols but <laughs> they see two wind vanes, and they are just gobsmacked
2: Hey but it's I mean laser pistol doesn't have like a, a weather vane on it. That's so, true. So so it's not spinning <laughs> and doing it's shit. <push> it <laughs> a good it point. just lights up briefly. And then uh I think what then he he unveils the uh prototype co- uh, oh spoilers here he unveils the <laughs> prototype cosmic key. <laughs> kind of explaining how uh skeletor or, or uh evil Inn tricked him into
1: right me. yeah that was good that was like a cool little bit of exposition i like the cosmic key i think that it's yeah it's pretty rad looking looks like it would make a hell of a juicer you probably get a great celery juice out of that thing um Whoa.
2: Oh, that thing is gnarly! Like, yeah, it's got like forks on the side. It's of it, got a bunch buns. of it's got a bunch of barbecue tongs. Yeah, on this it. thing is many. and yeah, it's like, dude, uh, I can't even do the beat. Oh, I'm I'm a terrible fan. <laughs> uh,
1: so there's a great line in there where uh, Gildor says. Uh, you know, um, I made this and Evelyn tricked me and I gave, uh, Skeletor the other key. And that's why he was able to get, you know, uh, behind the lines of the Anternians. Um, and then he says he wants to kill me so I won't make another one. Um, but he had him. <laughs> this like, I guess it's just the pubris of, uh, of Skeletor. He wants to kill him himself. Um, but I, I just thought it was funny that he, he had him in a sack. He could have done it and, uh, he doesn't. And that's, that's a running theme we'll run into or, uh, into with Skeletor as we, as we, uh, check out the rest of this, uh, movie is a lot of, um, I bet if, you know, if there is an afterlife for Skeletor, I think he's got a lot of thinking about those missed opportunities because he, he takes, there's quite a few times in this film where he, he has victory in his grasp and he his uh hubris um is his downfall which i you know is is
2: pretty deep right (laughs) well i mean it's the folly of every saturday morning cartoon villain uh you know like if you watch old gi joe cartoons and if it's like a four-part episode three out of those four parts cobra is winning there's nothing that gi joe could do and yeah. then all of a sudden in the last half an hour gi joe gets their shit together and figures it out because cobra usually ends up cobra commander ends up doing something really stupid and it's the same thing with the uh, skeletor he just hires terrible people and um he doesn't have great advisors um so no one tells him like hey maybe we should just kill the little dude in a sack now he's yeah. like no 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 prayed them through and then bring him to me eventually yeah. <laughs> i'll get to him yeah we'll get to him later we've won <laughs> 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 okay
1: so all so, right so um yeah so we then we come to the plan where they say oh you've got this this uh Synthesizer that makes portals. Um, we gotta get into Castle Grayskull. We gotta perfect. We'll ambush him. Surprise attack. That's right. Um, and uh, you know, we we get the classic um, uh, George Stanz's dad tells us we he does not like adventures. Yep. He doesn't go on adventures, so we know he's going. We know he's going yeah. at that moment.
2: Yeah, he's he's along for the ride, whether he likes it or not. I, I do like the fact that he is a key master who has like a back door in his rock hovel home.
1: Yeah, right. That it goes right to the, like I guess he lives under Castle Grayskull.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> near it or some shit.
1: Yeah, so they uh makes his uh line about locking the door even make less sense because. He just lives right under where the bad guy is now. When the bad guys show up uh, at the door, they make a, uh, a point of showing them trampling his garden.
0: <laughs> so
1: it's like, they there's just like some dumb crystals and it's like this really bad set, but they just show him like stomping all over it. And the guy doesn't even need to go there. It's like, he, <laughs> he clearly looks like he kind of just did it to be an asshole. So they're like, these guys are mean. They won't even respect the man's garden. Got some really nice rock feature out there. Some indigenous plants, clearly. He's thinking about the water table. And then this guy comes in and just runs all over it. What a dickhead.
2: You're like, Fuck your garden, dude. It was just
1: great because they make this. It was just like a super. Like, it's like a scene that didn't need to be there. And it was just uh, fantastic.
2: Yeah, another layer.
1: The Internian Throne Room. Uh, we got he-man we got man in arms we got Tila. we got uh gwildor and um the throne room is like overly suspiciously empty yep it's the most obvious trap you've ever seen
2: not for not for he-man he has to rescue that sorceress
1: yeah he's gonna try he's gonna give it the old college try and um bad news
2: doesn't go too well for him. Does not. And I think all these troops uh, come in from like the one entryway. And then Skeletor's with Evil in. And then, boom, doing his little pimp walk again with the staff. Love it every then, minute of it. Yeah, then they're having their little, uh, what, teton tit, tete where they're talking, you know, uh, Skeletor's waxing poetic. As he loves well, to do. Well, you know, Triss trying to, you know, they're trying to stall. Because then they discover that Gwildor has the other key. I think Evelyn calls that out. Yeah, she can hear him.
1: <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's right you know, in the room, stupidly, and you he can hear him be like, boop, boop, beep, up, And she's like, dog, the lock guy. He's got the other key. Yeah, but she screams it
2: the locksmith has another key yeah
1: show I me mean, she's uh she's into it it's a good casting for evil in
2: oh meg foster holy crap those eyes like, yeah with, I, I, I was reading that they said that they wanted to give her contacts and i was like why would you why? ever do that like those eyes, are, eyes are crazy yeah like i remember seeing her in this and then like blind fury with Ruchter Hauer, mm-hmm. and holy crap, like, those I like. I was like, oh, it's Evil Lynn! Because, like, it's unmistakable. Like, yeah. It's pale, like, blue-gray eyes. Like, fitting of Evil Lynn. Just great casting.
1: Just a, yeah. yeah, like, say what you want about this movie, but there was a lot of good casting. <laughs> like, Frank Lagella is the perfect cast. They they didn't do him justice with the makeup that they were able to afford, but, man. just I now see great
2: i don't have a problem with the makeup
1: i mean the the nose just will forever bother me because it's why even like just make it white i don't know like there are there's even as a kid i was like why is his uh why is his nose shaded but then his eye sockets aren't shaded i don't know
2: Oh, well, that's fair. I mean, it's because he has eyeballs in this. Yeah. Normally, Skeletor does not have eyeballs, but that's fair.
1: All my right. head canon is that he is a mutant. Like his face is mutated to look like a skull, and he's just sort of paints the nose area to to just uh, make him look more intimidating.
2: He's like, hold on, need to paint my nostrils. Did uh,
1: <laughs>
2: did my nose
1: paint wear off?
2: <laughs> no, you're fine Skeletor you're it's cool you're you're good Look, looking sharp um so uh, anyway uh, at that point oh there's a ahead. great scene while
1: uh, Skeletor is monologuing men in arms there's like a, a one shot on a man in arms face and he is just like over it <laughs> he's over Skeletor's shit
2: yeah well he's sitting there I think I forget what he says but he's just kind of yeah he talks a little shit and that's why I love uh, the actor who played man-at-arms like his whole demeanor has been great
1: he gives such a sincere uh, performance I think is what I would call it he seems invested and his performance seems like genuine and sincere which I think is uh, great for this movie
2: Oh, I, I I think if anyone was doing anything other than being sincere about it, then they would um, it would really show. You know, it's like a, I mean I can't imagine doing a science fiction movie or any sort of movie where you just kind of make believing a lot of shit, especially at this time, right? Like, okay, now look over here, and there's sparks shooting above this cosmic key in his hand, and a gate is open. You got to buy into that, and everyone's like, oh yeah, we're gonna buy into this hook, line, and sinker.
1: Yeah so uh, men at arms uh, he reveals his position from behind cover starts firing chaos breaks out and uh, we get a really funny shot of uh, He-Man trying to shoot and hold his sword at the same time and he's like trying to brace his arm on the cover and you tell it's like just really uh, awkward to do
2: yeah, I mean, I don't really know why. As I mean, I, I guess he uses the sword to block, but you don't really see him block anything with it in yeah. this case. There's, oh, there's a there is a great scene
1: where he sort of nonchalantly <laughs> blocks in like the most no big deal move, where he just kind of does like a little block, boop, and like uh, deflects. Uh, you know, they drew in an effect there, um, but it's just great. It's clear that the director probably just told him just do whatever. You've seen Conan, right? Just do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're like now. Picture if you're Conan with a with with a gun. Yeah, and uh, just shoot and hold your sword because we paid a lot of money to get those made, and damn it, you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think from that part, a firefight breaks out because Guldor opens the uh, portal to somewhere we don't know where they're going to go. Yeah, but, you know, you open a portal.
1: But it's an impressive yeah. effect for the time, especially like the, the, um, room distorts a little bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, uh, we get a, a nice, like, um, like double exposure or whatever the effect method was to do that kind of, eighties uh, portal that you saw a lot. You saw that kind of same effect in, um, Poltergeist and stuff like that. It's probably just painted on the film or something, but. Looks it, good. It was good, I yeah. Like it. has got a lot of layers, and I think it's like the last time we see that quality of Portal. It's like their Portal money shot was the,
2: the first that was one. The, the first one, and if they could have reused it, they probably would have, yeah. but since they couldn't. Yeah, then they're all running towards the Portal. Uh, that, that's one of my favorite man-at-arm parts is he turns around, and he's holding both of his guns, and he's just shooting at these guys like, pew, pew, pew. pew, pew. Just like that. Yeah. Even the sound of it.
1: Yeah. Exact same sound effect, and it's cool because um, that's what you expect from Man of Arms, and you like to see it. It's uh, authentic, and it's a cool part for sure. Yeah, bristling with arms. Absolutely, and uh, you know, there's and then there's that great He-Man jump.
2: Oh yes. Well, well, remember, Gwildor, the the Cosmic Key gets shot, and this is important. Yeah. Because it. The, he has the cosmic key. One of uh, Skeletor's troopers shoots the cosmic key out of his hand. He-Man runs up and like nothing picks up Guldor and then he uh, jumps through this portal to somewhere.
1: Yeah, and he he does that great like initial launch, and then they cut to a uh, shot of uh, behind him, and he's just flying straight like <laughs> like Superman
2: Gil- towards Gil- the Gil- portal.
1: It just. It's corny as hell, but you gotta love it. And, uh, before we know it, we are in a strange new environment. This doesn't look like the dry riverbed that we left in Eternia, so where could it be? It's, uh, might be a jungle? I don't know, there's like a river nearby? Gwildor is fucking dying?
2: Yeah. He's submerged in some sort of water. Yeah. And, um, uh, who is it? A does it? He Man.
1: He Man um, goes and pulls him out. He is dying, uh, presumably, but everyone's having a great time laughing at him. <laughs> he should hate. He should hate these guys. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, because he like he's he's like he's got gills or some shit, but apparently his gills don't help him breathe underwater. Yeah,
1: he uh, he just uses them for a hilarious gag where he holds his nose and he blows, and water comes out of the side of his face and and squirts uh, Tila, and that'll show her for uh, for laughing at him. Um, yeah, they,
2: <laughs> they both laughed at him. Yeah,
1: they were both having like they were just like, what a dipshit. And, um... Yeah, and so he should hate them, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um... And then... Uh... We hear a man... They're standing by some oak trees, quite obviously. And Man-at-Arms detects, uh, something coming. It's big. It's organic. <laughs> what could it be? Guess what? It's a gag. It's a it's clown. A or a c- cow. a clown. <laughs> it's, it's a clown.
2: <laughs> it's all honk, <laughs> <Did,
1: did, laughs> and they chop his fucking head off and then roll credits it's a really weird movie yeah,
2: yeah it's it's funny it's only an 18 minute long movie <laughs>
1: yeah but it's one <laughs> yeah it's a great one it's a cult classic
2: yeah no it's a cow and then they um it it moves and then Gwildor promptly's like says it's a hideous sound
1: right and he's going to help uh maybe he can communicate with this
2: poor creature because it's not smart enough Yeah, so he's all like moo moo and i think that's the point they discover that they don't have the cosmic key
1: right they lost the cosmic key they gotta go look for it um so we cut from that to um the exterior of a restaurant and you know what we we realize we're on earth oh boy it was Earth all along. And we, the, the, we're, it was a there's a rib joint on this planet. Uh, if the cow wasn't a dead giveaway enough, we thought maybe that was an alien cow. Nope, it is Earth, and the Eternians have come to Earth. They have uh, teleported themselves via the Cosmic Key, and it's just random. Well, it's just a uh, because uh, I think. I don't know if it's the, the next scene or this scene, but um, Skeletor is uh, informed that um, he just hit some random keys. So there's no way of knowing. No possible way of knowing where they went. And they're not going to find out. That's the beauty of it. They're not going to find out unless some dipshit named Kevin does something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, we forgot one thing. I don't mean uh, to skip ahead. Uh, Kevin's no, coming. No, it's fine. Well, Kevin's plenty coming. of time he's for a, Kevin. He's a dipshit who turns into a, a hero in his own right. Um, but we forgot that when the cosmic key got shot and they jumped through the portal, Gwildor used his hook rope launcher to grab the cosmic <laughs> key and pull it through the portal. Hence, why it wasn't with them when they landed. It landed somewhere else right
1: yeah that was a great scene where we see uh we we feel like the bad guys that uh, have got the upper head they're come or upper hand i should say and they're coming to get the key and nope out of the portal a little grabber arm like one you might find in an arcade game comes and snatches that thing away right out of the clutches of skeletor and now
2: he is a peeved yep and then cut, we're at Robbie's Ribs and Chicken. Right. Robbie's Ribs and
1: Chicken, where the Bechdel test is immediately thrown out the window. Because <laughs> we have two <laughs> female characters with an opportunity to talk amongst themselves about anything besides men, and immediately, guess what we're talking about? Fucking Kevin. Fucking That's Kevin. Right.
2: Fucking Kevin.
1: And, but- you know, granted, at first, we don't know much about Kevin. But spoiler alert: as the movie goes on, we will understand why Courtney Hux was so eager to, to get the fuck out of Dodge.
2: Well, like partly. I mean, but, there are some know. other
1: things. There's some important other story beats. But yeah, I mean, this fucking yeah. Kevin is quite a character. Anyway, they're talking about Kevin.
2: They're talking about Kevin at Robbie's Ribs and Chicken and then um i think kevin swings by to pick up courtney cox uh, um julie right yes. her sorry. Name <laughs> is <Julie>. sorry <laughs> i just refer to her as courtney cox
1: in the entire all my notes because that's all i can think about when i see her because she you know she's not making any really strong character choices here but um yeah so we learned that julie is headed to now do we know where she lives currently did they say
2: no, I think they go, um, he picks her up. Cause they're going to, and, she's going
1: to New Jersey, right? She's flying. She's moving.
2: Yeah. They're in California. Okay. Um, because, um, spoiler alert, uh, the reason why she wants to move away from there is because her parents died in a, uh, a plane accident and, um, damn, I'm just spoiling everything. Um, parents died in a plane accident and they were flying to Catalina okay right for the so, weekend for the weekend um but for the for wine the mixer, afternoon. i think yeah no the afternoon they yes. were going to come back that night it was just one wine mixer and then they're going to go and unfortunately they died
1: and um yeah and we uh we understand that uh uh julie uh holds kevin responsible so let's see shitty kevin tally check one
2: <laughs> yeah i mean to be fair to be fair it is kind of his fault yep yes yes it is kind of his fault i'm Um, just putting that out there folks for uh, those who (laughs) want to argue with me about this it's his fault like she lied to her parents so she could spend the day with him yes and because he's very demanding
1: with it with her time apparently
2: yeah when they wanted to go to the beach and you know he's demanding because they're in the van and he's like hey you're gonna go to my sound check right and she's like, Well, I want to go do something else. And he's he's a little
1: He's yeah, a little pushy.
2: He's a little piece of work. you already
1: get the idea of why she is uh not not really fretting the fact that she's leaving Kevin behind and going to sunny New Jersey, California. <laughs> <laughs> um so then we cut to the outside of uh the rib joint where uh yeah, Julie works. His- and we see our uh, attorneys hiding in what has to be the sparsest vegetation I've ever seen. Um, I assume that everyone there can just see them. And they are just kind of ignoring the people in the crazy costumes that are just running around in the bushes and talking at full
2: volume. Yeah, well, remember, a soldier follows his nose. Right. Right, because he's hungry. He's hungry. So, he's hungry. But Gwildor,
1: there's um, a great scene where Gwildor again uses that he, the thing he just used, his little uh, grabber arm. And, um, you know, uh, gets a bucket of chicken and ribs from the back yeah. of uh, the car of two people who are just really hardcore making out in broad daylight in the parking lot of
2: a rib joint. Yeah, and then and then Goldor is just drinking barbecue sauce and eating ribs. Yeah. And I'm gonna fucking tell you something. Every time and I'm not the only one, I've met other people. Every time this scene comes up, I want ribs. Sure. Yeah. It makes I mean, me like these look like some good-tasting ribs for 1987. Oh, absolutely. And here's what's so crazy is that when they cut
1: to them, because, of course, Gwildor um, is initially embarrassed to be caught, but then uh, reveals that he was going to share. Who knows if that's true or not? We don't. We 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 can ask. Who knows? But either way, um, then we cut to them sitting around eating out of a bucket. <laughs> Again, they're in broad daylight in the bushes, Talking at full volume. There's no way people don't see them, but it's fine. They're just like, just leave them alone. These weird homeless uh, uh, fellows, uh, uh, abode challenged fellows. Um, uh, just let them eat their their pilfered bucket of meat. And we find out that What's going um, on a T-shirt, Aturia is a vegetarian or vegan, which vegan, is yes, interesting. Um, uh lita, lita
2: lita lita no tila tila tila. <laughs> tila ponders how they put the food on these white little sticks
1: yeah that... okay that was cracked me up so hard because like she's a soldier she doesn't know what a bone
2: is <laughs> hey maybe bone <laughs> density is different in Eternia yeah they just maybe got made a hardier stuff
1: their stuff just dissolves yeah they don't yeah, they don't they something. don't know what a bone is like uh, look, you don't have to eat meat to know what a bone is. How yeah, do they get this delicious oh it's meat and then and, and she's upset
2: and uh Oh I love uh, it. He's like it. he's like it's it's best not to think while you're eating. And see man at arms, straight savage. He he takes another piece of chicken. Yeah.
1: He, he's yeah. loving it. Like he already yeah, knows. She yeah, figures out a meat, he's like, Yeah, it's meat
2: But I'm hungry, so yeah and then like gwildor and her are just straight disgusted yeah but then he gwildor is sort of on the fence because he looks at it and
1: he said mm, well, it tasted
2: good. It good but see it was it's like one of those things where if you don't know what you're eating and you like it but it's made of something that you normally say you don't eat and right and you just whatever in this case gwildor was like it tasted good but damn man i wish i didn't do this yeah
1: he just ate but, that uh the pitiful creature that he that he ran into earlier. No, they were pork ribs. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> just so, oh, they're pork ribs.
1: <laughs> so uh we went over this a bit earlier, but then after that we we cut to we cut to the the cemetery where apparently this is the thing that uh Julie wanted to do before she uh flew to new jersey was visit her parents grave one last time so they we had we had a little uh recap of the of the the accident that led her parents um to die and also her uh blaming of kevin a little bit uh, at the very least um and uh you know they
2: that's when they discover something big right Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm in a in in a cemetery as they're walking away what did they find the cosmic
1: key why it's why it's just in a planter which at first glance i I was writing notes and i happened to glance up in the scene and i thought for sure that they had just found it in a freshly dug grave (laughs) (laughs) and kevin was just like cool it's a japanese synthesizer which he immediately assumes. He finds a metal object in a flower bed at a cemetery, and his first assumption is not this is an urn, which I think any sane person would assume. Instead, he's like, "This is a synthesizer from Japan."
2: Well, remember, it's beeping. It's making sounds. It's not like it's not like this dormant thing. Okay, granted, yes, it is making sounds. Um, but yeah. <laughs> And then he's playing, he's pushing the keys, and it's making beats, and that's why he thinks it's a synthesizer. Yeah, <laughs> he and does.
1: The- I mean, I guess, yeah. To be fair, he does uh, kind of like fool around with it a little bit first, and then determines obviously it is a synthesizer. Um, and that's hilarious. It's a great, uh, great scene. Um, but seriously immediately he's starting to fuck everyone over we are getting more evidence of like no one everyone is just sick of kevin's bullshit
2: (laughs) they don't take kevin anywhere anymore they don't tell him where there is because he's playing with it then it shoots right back to internia where evil tells skeletor hey cosmic key's been activated we don't know where they're at yet and then Skeletor says something about like you know wait till do it wait till it's activated again the pinpoint its location, and then he says some, some pithy thing to the sorceress, you know something about have face sorceress or some shit like that.
1: Well, I mean let's not forget Silverman. We open on a a guy who has just been painted silver, sitting in a little silver car, who apparently is handling communications for the Skeletor Enterprise
2: oh yeah was that that scene
1: (laughs) because yeah we go right from we go right from uh like the uh eating food and then them finding that synthesizer to silverman
2: yeah i think you i think you're jumping a scene I do think you're jumping a scene, but yeah, I know what you're talking about because Evelyn works with the Silver Man. It's like the robot guy, yeah. Because like, Pal Street, this is man. when they go into the bounty hunter sequence. N- n- no, there's a throwaway scene of so there's a throwaway scene where it's just Evil Evelyn and Skeletor, where they, he's in the th- he's on the throne. She walks up, says it's been activated. It's the first time he's just like, hey. Wait for this to, um, wait for them activated again, and then we'll go get it. And right, because then and I guess that leads to the bounty hunter se- sequence. Well, it leads to Back to Earth, where Kevin and they're at his sound check, and she just looks, uh, Courtney Cox, Julie, looks completely um, unhappy, and he's just sitting there trying to figure out how to amp up this cosmic key crap right and then you go to the then the next scene over is like because he activate, he activates it again and then they do the bounty hunting scene <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's
1: he is the worst right it cuts to that scene and he's talking about how he needs to show it to Charlie and he's he's trying to amp it up um, and he plays like a little selection of his the music he's been working on and it sounds like garbage so you can s- tell. Oh, uh, why another reason why she wants to get away. But then yes, and that then It cuts to Silverman. I cuts to Silverman. And um they're they're picking up that sequence again. And so they've Evelyn informs um Skeletor that the mercenaries are here. They're not gonna call the bounty hunters, which I guess is fine. Um but then she says they are. She's gathered his finest warriors. So I guess he uses mercenaries a lot.
2: Hey man, Empire did it. Yeah. They they look. They just they wanted got... an empire scene. I mean that's. Yeah. That's what yeah,
1: the, the whole reason this is here, and we get, what is maybe my favorite sequence of the movie, which is the bounty hunter intro sequence.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Blade. Blade.
1: Sarad. Sarad. And then uh, Beastman, Beast man. looking pretty authentic.
2: And, yeah, I thought he's great.
1: Yeah. And Karg. And uh, oh. Karg, which looks like a lizard grandma.
2: Lizard grandma with like a 16th century ruffled, like, neck thing. <laughs> yeah. So like good. It's, it's kind of almost like you got the all these badass looking people you got this lizard dude you got this beast man you got this guy that's bristling with blades and then it's like here's Estelle Getty yep <laughs> yeah. exactly and then uh, an extra
1: from the Golden Girls yeah, he's like thank you for
2: hiring me
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to be here I need more hairspray obviously
2: it's me Karg Karg <laughs> And he, my favorite is he, his, his, he's got like a hooked hand, I think, and mm-hmm. like a tuning fork or something. It's like a that. little guy.
1: It's just like yeah. a little tiny little fork, which is great. Um, so that's just fantastic. And then they get teleported to Earth because, you know, now they know because of Kevin's fuck ups, they know exactly where to go. Yep. And, um, then like it continues my most my favorite scene of the movie by having them all do a unique portal entrance which is just chef's kiss perfect uh each
2: one comes through and does a pose you know, like uh, action like yeah action pose gun pose hop around and then he's like even one of them looks behind it's like hey hurry up come on guys yeah we gotta, we gotta do this real quick it's the best all right, and they're in. They're in the high school. Kevin went to Charlie's to go figure out what the cosmic key was, and then like you can see these, the <laughs> oh yeah, then like uh, the 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 mercenaries are sitting there fighting the 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 coach or the oh my janitor gosh, or that
1: coach gets beaten to death, pretty <laughs> much. I mean, we know we know he's not dead. We see him alive later, but. Man, he just gets beat to shit. And then they set that shit on fire. Yes. And I was like, well, that's it. This dude's they, dead.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they they did everything you would do if you played a tabletop role-playing game. Yep. It's like, they went in, they sacked the building, and they just set shit on fire. They're, they're shooting, like, the school dance. Like, they're blowing up instruments. Um... Like, they're all trying to capture her. Like, Julie, i.e. Courtney Cox, running around. Things on fire.
1: Yeah, it's so good. So, um, clearly, Karg says, uh, don't kill her. He just assumes. <laughs> he's like, don't kill her. She might know something about the key. And that's, like, the order. Um, and then, they all proceed to try to kill her. okay.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, they're all chasing her. And then, like, I remember Blade. Blade's one of my favorites. I, I love him in those movies. Walking with the swords, and he s- sticks them through the stage that she's yeah. hiding underneath. And you're just like, Jesus, you were... He you just were hoping- told you not to kill her. And you yeah. are sticking your
1: swords through the uh, stage. Definitely going to kill her if it comes in contact with her.
2: Well, then the fucker shoots darts at yeah. her. Yeah. And they run- are Huge these are these are like lawn darts shooting off of his wrist sticking in the door yeah they embed
1: themselves in a thick wood gym door
2: yeah this is killing a person if
1: if any one of those would have hit her she would have been dead no doubt about it it's oh and there's one great so courtney cox is um hiding behind a set of speakers uh julie is and uh beast man comes after her and she (laughs) it's a great scene where he is he is uh, befuddled by uh, a bunch of tinsel and he just is just like tangled in this tinsel that he can't get out and then there's this whole scene of like her looking like being scared by him initially and then noticing that he is being <laughs> he's being like in just vexed by this tinsel so i wrote down beast man ultimate uh weakness tinsel
2: well, he's part cat. Yeah, yeah. He right, he just and, oh, that's he starts playing. with it. He's playing with it. It's like yarn. Oh,
1: it. Beast Man, love this. Where he's has ready. this been on Beast Man's life?
2: He's, this is the, the Skeletor Snake Mountain. Doesn't have this. <laughs> he's just batting it around. I want to take and this he, with me. And he's really happy until she throws like pneumonia in his eye.
1: Oh man, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then she yeah uh, she she does escape. She hits him with the uh, ammonia, and he gets like. His face gets fucked up for the rest of the film. Yeah, he's, like,
2: chemically burned. Yeah, he He'll never play with tinsel again. Not the same way, anyway.
1: So, um, she runs away. She is, uh, clearly traumatized from the look of her. And, uh, runs, uh, and from behind her, like, um, Jason Voorhees, (laughs) He-Man just sort of walks out of the shadows, like this giant... And, um, after maybe about 2.2 seconds, no, not even like 1.5 seconds of hesitation, uh, his hotness just immediately disarms her. She immediately falls into his arms crying and, and, and he carries her away. More hugging. Yep. And from, so a little bit earlier, um, or I think after this, then there's a epic fight in the warehouse, right?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's where he's like, it's all right, you'll be safe. And then he's like, what are you running from? Like, tell me what's going on. And then he's like, here, covers her with his cape, gives her his gun, and he's like, all right, I'm going to deal with these guys myself. I'm going to show you why I am He-Man. And then, yeah, they have this huge fight, and, like, I don't know if it's, like, a loading dock or...
1: Yeah, it just seems like this... This gym also is maybe adjacent to a
2: shipping and receiving warehouse. I just always remember there was like a pizza zine yes. sign. Yes. Oh, this bothered it. the the b-
1: b- b- bejesus out of me. Um... I was really stretching for something that wouldn't be
2: offensive, but whatever. Um, It's just a pizza sign pointing, uh, looks like, across the street. Well,
1: it's backwards. They're showing just the back of it. Um, Well,
2: maybe it's a one-way street. Yeah, maybe. It just, it's,
1: because it seems like wherever they are is like a storage warehouse. Because don't, like, spoiler alert, uh, not but a few moments later um we're gonna see that Gwildor found an entire car and was able to um rebuild it in about a half hour um but there's a just a ton of different stuff in this warehouse and one of those things is a pizza neon sign and since they only shoot the back of it it's only backwards and it makes no sense why they would have that in the shot and have it backwards it draws so much attention and it just is
2: ridiculous (laughs) Yes, yeah, I think I just like to imagine that the guy who owns the 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 warehouse junk portion also owns a pizza restaurant across the way or it's just like a junk warehouse that has a bunch of neon signs cuz also I think there's one that says rooms. Yeah, the back there's like another
1: a f- and a few more I think in there's there somewhere. Some may-
2: it's like a neon collector, but anyway, I won't go through the logistics of this warehouse. You just see He Man fighting the shit out of all of uh, Skeletor's crack troops.
1: Yeah, and so he, um, you know, does the best WWE moves he's got picking people up, throwing them into other people. Throws his sword. Throws his sword in a great scene. Uh, we get Blade. Um, giving us a little bit of a hint that they have some sort of history although he man shows no recognition of blade so i think it's a real yeah. one-sided uh <laughs> like uh, relationship here but he says um i've waited a long time for this um like, but this like, seems totally unearned because we don't know anything about these characters
2: it's like that scene from street fighter the movie or Chun-Li monologues about how M. Bison was the worst thing ever and he's like, hey, the day that Bison blessed your land was the greatest day of your life. For me, it was just a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Blade is He-Man's Tuesday. He's like, I don't know who you are, but whatever. Exactly. So...
1: um, Yeah, so then uh, we get um, Tila... And men-in-arms show up finally, wherever they were. We don't know. Um, and the the four mercenaries, plus a handful of troops it looks like they had backing them up, um, bugs out. Oh, one thing before we move on. There is a scene where Courtney Cox picks up the gun and does shoot one of the guys, wounding them. And she she goes pretty, like, she's a, she's a savage. She might be savage. <laughs> She's,
2: yeah well she shot uh the lizard dude rod
1: yeah and and she like screams and is like wow she did not have a problem picking up that gun that by the way is the final time she has agency in this movie <laughs> the rest yeah, of the film right? she's either crying or sleeping
2: yeah yeah i mean she says some stuff too but yeah it's it this is they treat her like a real
1: potted plant in this movie a uh, little bit a little bit <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah.
2: So, I think it. Then it cuts to Charlie.
1: Yes. And Charlie's. so then we get to the Charlie scene, and man, really had a hard time figuring out what the fuck Charlie's deal was.
2: I I don't know how he could afford such a fine establishment.
1: Yeah, it's like is he an, is he an idiot or is he high? I can't tell how what how this character is supposed to be played.
2: Well, I'm hoping he's high. I don't think he'd want to be like, yeah, cuz he does it's weird like sometimes he doesn't have lines and sometimes he does have lines. The the thing about this scene that always stuck out to me was the playing of uh Jimi Hendrix yes. in the background.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like that okay, as the viewer, I think I'm supposed to I'm supposed to think that this guy is a stoner. He's been hitting that jazz lettuce too much.
2: Yeah, eating pizza, repairing keyboards, and then he's looking at this. He's looking at this cosmic key, and he's he he straight lies to uh, Kevin. He's like, "I've seen this before." He's like, "It's Japanese, right?" Everyone
1: thinks it's Japanese, which is uh like pretty a pretty hacky joke and probably pretty common at the time. Um, but it is hilarious. How they say anything high tech must be from Japan. It's a very eighties um point of view so then we cut back to um we cut back to he-man uh, emotionally cucking kevin Um uh, <laughs> just cock's so glad that he-man is there and doesn't really care about kevin all that much even though he-man makes it very clear that he's in a ton of danger
2: she's like it's fine i'm with you now i mean
1: yeah it's like uh, uh, it was so scary but you're here so i mean kevin hmm oh oh shit kevin oh ooh. there's a pretty cool long shot it's a single crane shot of kevin just kind of wandering into the active crime scene <laughs> um, and he just is like a no one's stopping him but b he's just like punching (laughs) like punching balloons and he doesn't give like two shits it's just him being shitty
2: yeah i mean he's not afraid of people
1: no no he Uh, is like he, he is he's a lot
2: a lot of work um I, but i mean he just left his soon to be maybe ex-girlfriend and then this place is just a mess and then he starts trying to talk to the coach and the coach is all fucking banged up yeah he's like i'll never tell you what i saw <laughs> yeah he was kind of like he, he's like what happened he's like you don't ever want to know i was like yeah everyone's gonna want to know what hell happened to you your face looks like you got beat up by some sort of beast man
1: yeah uh <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but, like, um, it wasn't but, like, 15 minutes ago that you left this place and it wasn't on fire, but you don't want to know what happened. It's fine.
2: (laughs) And then, uh, then we get the introduction of possibly the greatest character ever, Detective Lubbock.
1: Uh, Detective Lubbock, played by the amazing James Tolkien. Um people probably remember him best as the principal from back to the future. Mm -hmm. Um, but he is just a breath of fresh air. It's great to see him. He doesn't get a lot to work with in this movie and makes some choices that I think maybe come back to haunt him just based solely on the amount of times he does it. And I'm talking about like the, he licks his lips like constantly (laughs) throughout the film. I noticed it at, the start and then it just snowballed from there but um it's just always fun to see him doing his his thing and he is he's being like peak tolkien james tolkien
2: Mm. he's questioning kevin kevin's like i don't know what the fuck happened look for my girlfriend and then he's like okay well you know what i'll do why don't we go ahead and take a
1: ride huh yeah yeah, his negging seemed to have worked, and the cop
2: goes with him. <laughs> yep, put him in a car, drives him off, then we come back to the warehouse yet again, where uh, uh, does Tila say something snide right off the bat?
1: Uh, or does yeah, she say cause like, He-Man shows up with, um, Julie, Julie, and Tila's like, wow, well, I guess you had a good time, or whatever. <laughs> and uh we're introduced to this amazing thing that uh gwildor has somehow been able to make a future hybrid car that
2: pink cadillac
1: and there's a nice little uh, environmental message in there because he fixed it it was a internal combustion but he fixed it and now it runs on
2: neutrinos i believe yep yep it doesn't use hydrocarbons yeah so two things people attorney are either vegetarians or vegans they are environmentally conscious. Yep. Um, they are secure in their masculinity because there's a lot of hand holding and hugging. Yeah. Which and let me let me say this for the folks: I don't have a problem with that. I just, it it's honestly I find it very refreshing that these are little pieces in there.
1: It's not just something you're bringing up because it's not something that you would associate with he man. I think when you think about it, um.
2: On the on the surface, yes, right? right. Like you think of He Man, he's this like you, you like you see He Man, you look at him, he's this ultra macho dude, whatever, but even like you watch the cartoons, he's always doing what's right, he's always morally bound. Like he's very secure with himself too. Um you know, obviously I never picked that up when I was a kid, but sure. it, like growing up later on you're like, Oh, I kinda see what they're trying to do here. There's more to it than just trying to sell toys. I mean, that's the main reason, but there's more to it, and it felt like that was kind of carried through with this. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think um, we'll definitely dive into the toys and the cartoon at some point in the future as, like, they deserve many, many episodes. Um, But, uh, yeah, I thought that whether it was intentional or not, the, um, for the amount of, like, buff greased up dudes there are in this um in this movie um it's it could be a lot more toxic aside from of course the uh sort of uh lack of agency for Courtney Cox's character which could just really be anything she could just be a a picture of her a headshot of herself with just i am sad written on there <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you yeah, know, this like she had a plan, and if she never would have went to that sound check, she would have been fine. Yeah, would have
1: been a okay.
2: She would have been on an airplane, or her stuff would have got packed up in the morning. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin fucks
1: w- it up again. Yeah, he's the worst. Yeah, Kevin. You know, I don't think Kevin is redeemed, uh, even with the events of, later in the film. But anyway.
2: Um, it, it goes from the it goes from them introducing Julie to the rest of the other masters, you know, uh, Man at Arms and Tila, um, and then it cuts right back to the throne room with um, Skeletor holding Evelyn's like face <laughs> in his hands. Yeah, so right,
1: my note for this scene is just Skeletor is canceled. Um, <laughs> he uh, needs to stop touching your face and rubber your shoulders like a pervert.
2: <laughs> well. It's weird. It's kind of like this. W- so, again, like earlier, I would have never picked up on this, but I think I pick up on tones of the fact that, like, she, like, Evelyn loves Skeletor, right? And he's kind of, like, being used as a soothsayer there. So, like, they're having, like, this intimate moment, but re- realistically, Skeletor doesn't give a rat's ass about anyone but himself right
1: yeah so she you're saying that um this is a consensual uh, exercise on her part it's not an unwelcome I, I, touching from skeletor although it looks very <laughs> like she just he just holds her face for way too well, long
2: he's holding, but the way they i don't know it's just the back and forth it seems like If this has happened this has probably happened more often than not like this is like the comforting moment him trying to strategize and her trying to find a um maybe a redeeming quality about skeletor or or whatever but it feels like someone who is kind of like in love with someone because later on you kind of get a sense that that feeling disappears yes yes there
1: is definitely a time when, um, she's had enough, perhaps. Um, so, then we get the, um, the, the dinky dozen shows up. The, the, whatever the, he calls them, the, the, uh, Curious Quartet Yeah. Uh, is curious back. Quartet. And after having retreated, after two more guys showed up, <laughs> even though they were vastly outnumbered them, um he they they're back to the to supplicate themselves before skeletor yep and report really nothing they have nothing to report they just need more people Uh, because they were too scared and they ran away
2: they were too scared they need more people they were they were uh, they were uh, uh they were out outmatched or something like that 'Cause that lion kinda comes back to bite them in the ass.
1: Yes, yes. They claim that they were outnumbered and outmatched. Outnumbered and yeah. um the attorneys the attacked them. They said there was a lot of them and they had to retreat. They had no choice and they wanted to regroup and go back out there. But um skeletor is not a forgiving dude. Nope, he is not in the I forget that the line is, but it's a great one uh he is not in the um forgiving he's
2: he's not in the mood. either forgiving mood or not the giving mood
1: yeah something to that effect is said and then we find out that skeletor this whole time has had a disintegration ray in his hand so he could use that can.
2: earlier <laughs> should have shot him, that shot him. Shit early on <laughs> instead he disintegrates Sarad, so he lose the lizard man
1: yeah which is a real shame because i was um i wanted to see more of knock off predator
2: yeah I think yeah I, I really liked the way he looked he looked like kind of like the his helmet has kind of like a last Starfighter-y type of helmet it look.
1: really does it he just he looks like he's a member of a snake football team
2: yeah you yeah know, like oh yeah those are the you know like the those are the Cal, Carolina, you know, Vipers or something. Right. The Carolina snake faces. Mm. And then uh, Evelyn says uh, something, and then he's like, "Well, if you're going to defend them, go with them. You should." She's like, "I don't want to do that." And he's like, "Well, you should have never opened your mouth then." Yeah, and then. That, then I think that kind of sets the tone for how their relationship's going to be for the rest of this.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a, sort of showing the rift forming between them because, uh, she thought she was on that side. She was, you know, with, she was on you know, the a line down the middle. There's the curious quartet on one side and her, well now the, the troublesome trio, I guess. And, um, her and Skeletor on the other. And she says, and he, he says, no, I mean, you pick these guys out, so you're going to have to do a little micromanagement. You're going to have to embed yourself with the squad. And uh, she looks shocked. Not happy with that turn of events. Yo,
2: no, not whatsoever. She's like, what? Fuck this. Will Evelyn join the squad? Does Blade finally get his revenge? Will our heroes find the cosmic key before Skeletor? Join us next week on Popsada as our intrepid podcasters continue to tell the story that is Masters of the Universe.
0: Saga. You know we keep it groovy We talking cartoons, books, TVs, and movies A couple of nerds but got style We so cool, pop culture Talking new and old school, yeah You should know we love hip-hop From the roots, Ty lib Shout out to Feral Monch We giving you what you want It don't get no live ain't no doubt we got you. This is Pop Saga, let's go Oh yeah, you heard right heard This is right. a lifestyle Welcome to the nerd life Pop Saga